Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports program brought to you by Radio New Zealand Sport. On the show this week, we hear from the New Zealand Rugby Union boss Steve Chu on the changes planned for Super Rugby. The Kiwis halfback Sean Johnson gets to know his teammates after a fresh-faced New Zealand Rugby League team was named to take on Australia in the Anzac Test. Lydia Ko rises to number two in the World Golf Rankings and her coach David Ledbetter reflects on her latest victory and whether she should still receive government funding. The All-Whites interim coach Neil Emblem talks through his squad to face South Africa and why the big names of New Zealand football are not on the team sheet. And the general manager of the Wellington Phoenix, David Dome, previews a four-way tournament involving the English Premier League teams Newcastle and West Ham United. Big changes are on the way for Super Rugby following this week's announcement that the competition will adopt a four-conference, 18-team format from 2016. The five-team Australian and New Zealand conferences will remain the same, but major changes will be made in South Africa. The Port Elizabeth-based Southern Kings will be recalled to the competition, with the Republic's six franchises split into two four-team conferences, alongside a new Argentinian team and another side that's yet to be confirmed. Each South African conference will only play one of the two Australasian conferences each year, which the New Zealand Rugby Union Chief Executive Steve Chu says reduces concern over international travel. What we've been trying to do is balance out a number of, uh, well not necessarily conflicting, but uh, not always the same needs for our, our stakeholders, which are not always completely aligned, and also across Australia and South Africa. So if we, we believe firmly that South Africa is good for, for New Zealand rugby, that it's um, been an important part of our strength to have our young players going regularly to South Africa and learning to play there and play against uh, the South African teams. So we want a South Africa in. So that, that has to be accommodated, that, therefore you've got to have six South African teams. We are firmly committed to Argentina being part of World Rugby and they've told us categorically that if they can't have a professional team in a competition like this, then their ability to compete in Test Rugby will be compromised going forward. So again, we've committed to Argentina, so Argentina is in. And so therefore expansion is necessary. Uh, and we've, we've worked through a range of options uh, in that regard and keeping in mind that we certainly wanted no more games for our players. In fact, we wanted a longer off-season. And while we've only cribbed one week, it is one week and it's valuable. Um, there's no more travel for, for our guys. Uh, and the integrity of the competition is still there. We think uh, the way we've, we've mapped out the final series with five teams coming forward out of the Australasian Conference uh, still means that to win this competition, you're going to be a very, very good rugby side and you're going to have to be very consistent. Where's the 18th team going to come from? Well, that's a good question. We're going to go to market and we think that's a great opportunity for rugby and a great opportunity for... Uh, for, for our competition, Super Rugby, to explore the possibilities. And so we've kept a pretty uh, open mind about that. It has to work from a draw and travel perspective, so there'll be some geographies that probably count themselves out. I don't think you'll see a team out of Eastern Europe. Um, but West Coast of the States, Southeast Asia, um, Southern Europe, there's a number of possibilities, and we'll, we'll keep a, a very open mind and, and we'll be a part of 
the decision as to where that team is based. So we'll put a New Zealand sort of consideration over it. What's that going to involve, though? Is that they have to buy in? We'll do as we did with the Rebels. We'll 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 seek. Um, some strong rugby and financial and commercial information from them. They obviously have to have a venue that is suitable. They'll have to have the financial backing to be sustainable over a period of time. And they'll have to show us that they can put a competitive team on the paddock without filling it full of Kiwis. Presumably, though, you've already got a country or whole franchise holder in mind, given you've, you've got the, the 18 teams there. Uh, we have, no, no, we have a very open mind, but we are in discussions with two or three interested parties, all of whom are credible. What conversations have you had with Mr Polvor over them jumping the gun? Oh, we've had an exchange of emails, which is quite short. How's your relationship with them? In the oh, Bill's fine. Look, look, at the end of the day, I think we were working to a timetable and uh, he's talked to a journalist and the conversation's gone too far and someone's put two and two together and got four pretty accurately. So we've brought all of our stuff forward and we're now managing it. Um, it is what it is. How frustrating is that given... There seems to be a general sense that they've jumped the gun a few times on various announcements over the years with Mr O'Neill, etc. Oh, I think there's a big difference between Bill and John, so I wouldn't count the history in this. Look, at the end of the day, it's a miracle it's been kept quiet this long, frankly. You were talking on the radio before um, about more potential expansion in 2018. Is there a potential way to alienate fans if the format keeps changing every few years? Well, there's a balancing act, isn't it? I mean, professional rugby in this part of the world is still incredibly young. And so we are evolving, and possibly change is a bit more common than it would be in some of the longer-established competitions like the EPL in, in, uh, in, in England or the European Cup. So we don't make any apology for always looking to do things differently and, and be better. We are uh, incredibly keen for the game to grow out of traditional markets. If we only ever have rugby in the countries that we all know so well, the, the British Isles and France and in the Sanzai countries, then eventually we will, we will fall behind. So we need to grow the game, we need to take it to new markets, and we see Sanzai as being in the vanguard of that. Do you have is a it, number you want to finish at? How long is a piece of string? Does this end up th Super 30? Oh, look, I don't, I don't think it's um, uh, restricted. You know, the, the, the biggest challenge we have with this competition is travel and cost. You know, we are, no matter how we do it, unless we only play ourselves and possibly Australia, we're always going to be putting people on aeroplanes. It comes at a cost that has uh, a significant impact on, on player workload and, and longevity. So we're always balancing those things out. But I could envisage uh, in the future um, four vertical conferences that are bigger than they are now, which would confine the travel, but in, in, increase the, the markets that we're in. And then you might end up with a, a final series that's almost global. The New Zealand Rugby Union Chief Executive Steve Chew. It's been introductions all round for the Kiwis Rugby League squad this week as they prepare for Friday night's Anzac Test against Australia in Sydney. The squad features six newcomers and only five survivors from the team demolished 34-2 by the Kangaroos in the World Cup final last November in Manchester. With Kieran Foran, Frank Pritchard, Isaac Luke and Manu Vatavai out injured and Sonny Bill Williams and Jared Wairia Hargraves not selected, it means halfback Sean Johnson, who's only played eight tests, is now one of the team's senior players. Johnson told Stephen Hewson the new players were quickly welcomed into the camp. Yeah, the boys got around to each other really quickly and sort of made everyone feel welcome, which is always a good thing. So I think everyone's feeling pretty comfortable uh, around each other now and, yeah, hopefully that'll show out on the field. How, how many guys did you actually know or didn't know? No, yeah, only a few of the boys. You know, you sort of get to meet them when you play them uh, briefly, but certainly a couple that I, I wasn't too close with. But um, I think, you know, every time you come into this camp, um, you, you quickly bond with, you know, one another and just awesome to be around 
I'm a team full of Kiwis. How different does this squad feel to, to others you've been involved with, given the changes there, there have been? Yeah, it does feel a lot different. Just with you know a few key players that you always used to seeing in camp, unable to be here, that allows other other people to step up and sort of take that leadership role. So, um, it's a bit of a different feel. You know, it's pretty exciting. Obviously, with those people making their debuts, a few new faces, and uh, we've got a fairly young side as well. So, there's a lot of excitement and enthusiasm around. And yeah, we just can't wait to play. Have you found there's a sense from from some of them that they're still in a bit of disbelief that they've actually been called into the side? Yeah, I think all the boys that got here deserve their spot here. But certainly with the, the younger guys, they're still sort of blown away by the whole experience. I think they're, they're sort of starting to find their feet, though. And, you know, yesterday we trained really well. And um, those young guys, especially Saliva and then Benny Henry and Tohu, know that they're really starting to step up and just get the job that they need to get done. And, yeah, that's really good to see. Uh, makes my job a whole lot easier. And they're in the side to execute their job. And I think that's all they're going to look at doing. What sort of advice do you give them, or, or if you are asked to, to give any, what would sort of be some of the, the top things that you would say to them when they come into the, that international environment? Uh, yeah, it's quite funny. Uh, you know, I've only been in camp a couple of years now, and it's sort of I'm sort of feeling like I'm more one of the more experienced ones, so I don't know how that works. But I guess if I'm going to ask, be asked to sort of dish out some advice, would just be, I, I remember for me when I was coming to it, just be to enjoy the whole week. Um, you know, take everything on board and um, just have some fun because ultimately that's that's what Mooks, uh, Stephen Kearney wants us to do. You know, he wants us to really enjoy the week and you know really just enjoy being around one another. So yeah, that's all I'll be saying to them. Uh, yeah, make the most of it and yeah, I think if if you can do that, I think the game will take care of itself. Given what people are saying, they're pretty much writing the Kiwis off. What's the team response to that? We're not really fussed by I guess what other people think you know about our squad. Um, you know, we, we're really confident with the group that we've got and, you know, the feeling that we've got in camp suggests that, you know, we shouldn't be, but that takes all the pressure off us. Is there anywhere you think the Kiwis might have an edge? Aussie, they're a really class side and um, they've got a lot of experience over us, but I think if we, if we can just be, be hungry and, you know, really match them with our enthusiasm and even get one up on them with our enthusiasm and our attitude, I really think, you know, we, we've got a strength through the middle. You know, I've seen, seen the fours we roll through. They're not so big anymore, but they're very skillful and um, got good feet as well. So, um, you know, all 40 games are won firstly in the middle and you know, we're going to have to dominate that part of the field if we want a chance. Enthusiasm, that's going to mean a lot of physicality, isn't it? And early on too, so maybe you've got to take it to them quite strongly. That's something that we've spoken about, you know, obviously getting ourselves in the game nice and early and, showing them that, that we're going to be there right from the start. That was the Kiwis halfback Sean Johnson. Meanwhile, the kangaroo coach Tim Sheens told a news conference in Sydney this week he's not expecting to walk over the inexperienced Kiwis. Sheen says with the squad only coming together a week before the match, there's no guarantee they'll gel come game day. Yeah, it is difficult. Uh, so it's a bonus for us to have pretty much everyone that's in the squad while everyone outside of uh, Matty Gillett played in the World Cup for us last year. So it makes it a little easier, but it's, it's, it's difficult for New Zealand as well. But um, in two days they come together um, you know, pretty quickly, you'd be surprised. But uh, getting on the same page for game plan and language and things like that is a difficult one. But again, as I said, we've got the World Cup advantage there. A team full of superstars, future immortals. Seems like you've got the easiest job in the world. Yeah, it would seem that way, wouldn't it? But um, it's not a matter of just turning up. Everyone thinks their mother could uh, coach the Australian side. Maybe they could. But, um, but at the end of the day, the, the pressure's still on the side. They win. They're expected to win. They don't get much credit for that. But uh, you've still got to work hard. And I think you look at the comp this year when... 
many are, I don't think many of you would be doing well in your tipping contest. So you can never you can never come out thinking that you've got you know the best side. Therefore, you're obviously going to win. So you know, ask the Roosters this year and and sides like that. So it's still a matter of respecting your opposition. Plus, you know, you've got to earn the jumper. It's just an Australian jumper. You know, you don't give them away. How that's for other people to worry about. My, my main concern as coach of the Kangaroos is to is to prepare them to win a game. You know, yeah, I know everyone likes uh, the Kiwis to beat us occasionally for the credibility of the game, but I don't like that, and I don't think the players do either. So, but they've beaten us enough times to remind to remind us that they can on those occasions. So, you know, we've we've got about 15 wins straight there at the moment, and we're keen to. Um, you know, as we've set a high bar last year, we're keen to, to maintain that. The Kangaroos coach, Tim Sheen. The New Zealand golfer Lydia Ko has jumped to number two in the world rankings after her first LPGA Tour win as a professional at the Swinging Skirts Classic in California. It capped off a dream week in which she turned 17 and was named in Time magazine's list of the 100 most influential people. Co also picked up $315,000 for the win, prompting High Performance Sport New Zealand to review whether she still requires government funding. Alex Coogan-Reeves spoke to her new coach, David Ledbetter, about her continued success and asked for his thoughts on her final round performance in San Francisco. Fantastic watching her, really. I mean, she, she was in such control of herself and her golf swing and her emotions and uh, you know, she she looked like a seasoned veteran out there. I mean, she really seemed to uh, revel under the pressure. And she's the sort of player, that's why she's so exciting, because the fact is she seems to really like being in these pressure situations. And so, you know, she she really didn't back down at all, and uh, she did what she had to do. And from my standpoint, we're really happy, Sean Hogan and myself, really happy with her, the fact that she's really cottoned on to these little changes she's made with her swing, and she's feeling comfortable. And not that they're major, major changes, but they're enough that she she's feeling a little different. And uh, she was really, really excited about how she played. And she said she wasn't expecting to play as well so soon, you know, even with a couple of changes. So it was great to watch her play. And you, you just had a feeling that she was going to... I just had a feeling, even with nine holes to play, that she was going to pull it off. I mean, as, as well as Stacey Lewis was playing. And, you know, she, she's a heck of a player. But uh, I, I just think Lydia is just a very, very special player. What were the sort of little things that you were working on with her? Well, you know, from a technical standpoint, obviously her and her previous coach, Guy Wilson, I mean, they've done a great job through the years. I mean, you know, when, you, when you're given a painting like Lydia and all you've got to do is just finish it off, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty easy task, really. And the thing we've just stressed, we're trying to really stress with her, and it, it's, it's hard to do because young players just want to sort of go at it. 24 hours a day. I mean, she's got an unbelievable work ethic. But one of the things that if you look at historically that we're trying to really help them in this area, that the top players really have paced themselves. If you look at Jack Nicklaus, you look at Tiger Woods, Annika, they pace themselves. Because the thing that you're always concerned a little bit about is sort of burnout physically or mentally and, you know, injuries and so on. So we're sort of trying to point her in the direction that say, hey, you've got to find a hobby, something to do that you can sort of get your mind off golf for a little while. You know, now it's a, it's a whole different ball game. I mean, she's playing a lot of tournaments in a row, uh, although she's taken this week off. But when she was an amateur, she'd play a couple of weeks and then she'd go home and sort of rest up. And even though she'd play in practice, it's not quite the same. I mean, now it's, it's a little more of a grind. And so it, it, at this stage, it's fun, it's exciting, there's new courses and uh, everything's fresh to her. But you know, as the years go on, you don't want to lose that passion, which really, you know, having sort of worked with Michelle Wee over the years since she was 13, I mean, the reason she's starting to play better now, she's got the passion back for the 
period of time, she lost it. It was, I think, mainly more than anything else. You look back at it, just really through overplaying, over golf. And as you sort of alluded to, so much has changed in the last sort of four or five months with her lifestyle changes to her swing. Did you have concerns that it would take her a long time to adjust, or are you surprised by how quickly she has? You know, nothing surprises me with Lydia. <laughs> it really doesn't. You know, she seems to, you know, she just she just has that sort of inner strength and that ability to, I mean, she's got such great belief in herself. I mean, she's very humble. You know, I mean, after she'd beaten Stacey Lewis, she said, well, hey, my goal is to be as good as her. Well, now she's ahead of her in the world ranking. So, it's, I mean, it was a very humble thing to say. And so, yeah, everything is a work in progress, you know. I mean, the golf swing, the golf game is always like a portrait that's never completed, really. In New Zealand, uh, over the last few weeks, there's sort of been an issue in the news over whether whether Lydia Ko should still be government-funded now that she's professional and earning money on the tour. Right. And With your conversations with Lydia, is that something that, is she aware of sort of what's going on there and is, is she affected by it at all? There's been obviously a lot of mention and dispatches about that and uh, I mean I haven't discussed it but I, I know from what she said, look she's very proud to be a New Zealander I and mean, she really wants to sort of, uh, you know, the Olympics is a big thing for her uh, and she wants to really, you know, obviously put New Zealand golf on the map so to speak. So I, I think in su- to some extent it, it's a, you know, Lydia has obviously moved over to the US but I think it's a strong link that she's able to maintain with New Zealand by having this sort of sponsorship, in my opinion, that the fact that, hey, not that she's beholden to them, but I think, you know, she would be a certain loyalty there, in my opinion, that, I mean, obviously being over here uh, to a large part a large part of the year, I mean, another thing they don't want to do is sort of lose touch with her. And so I think it's one way that they can actually keep keep in touch with her. I mean, I know you don't want to make it sound too mercenary. Either. Well, you've got to be paid to keep in touch. But it, 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 is, a, it is a way that she feels is a, is a strong link between her, her and uh, the New Zealand Sports Federation. With Roots in South Korea, there is a possibility if Korea stumped up with some money, she could say, well, maybe I could go and, go and play for them at the Olympics. In your conversations with her, is that something that you see as a possibility? I don't think so. I mean, I, I really do think she's very proud. I mean, to be a New Zealander, you know, and she... You know, she looks at the flag and, uh, you know, we have a flag up at the academy now. And so, uh, you know, I, I think that she's spent enough time in New Zealand and she's very thankful for the opportunity that she's been given growing up. And, uh, I mean, who knows? I mean, if she'd be the same player if she'd stayed back in Korea, you don't know. I mean, obviously, she's got a tremendous number of great young players, but I think that she uh, has a lot of loyalty towards New Zealand. Great. And how much do you, as a coach, have to sort of monitor these outside things that might be happening and make sure they're not affecting her when she's playing golf, obviously. We have some input, certainly. I mean, she's got IMG now, who are sort of uh, agents and watchdog and <laughs> whatever you want to call them. Callaway are, you know, very cognizant of the fact that, hey, she's a, she's a young player and needs some assistance. So I think, I think it's more of a team, team effort, I would say, to sort of not protect her, but to... You know, to make sure she's in the environment where she can play her best golf, and that's what it's all about. Uh, I, I do think that she has the opportunity, really, of being one of the greats in the game. I mean, we're talking about like an Anaka-type career because she has, she has the game, she has the, the, the mental fortitude and the temperament to win, you know, multi, multi number of majors, and uh, I think she could really be certainly one of the one of the greats. And you have to. Think about you know as good a career as Annika won. She won whatever seventy odd tournaments and 
10 majors, I believe it was. But, I mean, she really only started at 25. I mean, Lydia's got a sort of a, you know, an eight, nine-year jump on her. <laughs> so it's uh, going to be very interesting to see in the next few years. That was Lydia Coe's coach, David Ledbetter. The all-white squad to face South Africa was announced this week, but it didn't include high-profile New Zealanders playing in Britain. After a long season in England, Winston Reid, Tommy Smith and Chris Wood were able to opt out of playing in the Auckland Friendly as the match falls outside of the official FIFA window. On the other hand, Marco Rojas has been named in the squad after injury prevented him from playing many games in his first season with the German side Stuttgart. The 19-year-old midfielder Ryan Thomas is also available after scoring two goals for the Netherlands club PEC Zwolle as they defeated Ajax Amsterdam 5-1 in the final of the Dutch Cup. The All-Whites interim coach Neil Emblen told Alex Coogan-Reeves he understands why New Zealand's big guns don't want to play. I'd love to have everybody available and, and coming back, but um, you know, I understand you know, every case is a different one and we've sort of just looked at it and we're going with these boys and I'm excited about the boys that are coming back. I want to build on the last sort of 65 minutes we, we played in, in the Japan game and most of those boys are, are back again, so it's great. And having uh, Rojas come back, he hasn't played a lot of football, be good to get him back in the setup. Yeah, definitely. But everybody knows what Marco's all about this, this side of the world and you know, hopefully he can come back again and, and, and gain some confidence from playing well for the All Whites and take that back to Europe again because, you know, it's been a tough season for him and um, you know, I'm sure he'll learn a lot from it. These little niggly injuries and the standard that he's actually gone to playing as well, it's a very high standard and uh you know, I'm sure he's still learning about the game as well. It'd be great for him this game. I think he'll really enjoy it and we can give him some freedom to play and, and go and express himself. Likewise with Ryan Thomas, I guess, who's uh, been in pretty good touch for his club. Yeah, Ryan should come back with plenty of confidence. He's had absolute magnificent breakthrough season, really, and you know he's becoming a household name. And I'm sure he's the type of positive kid where he'll just come back and, and want to enhance that reputation he's uh, making for himself. So, uh, yeah, really, really excited about um Ryan coming back and, and, and sort of having a real uh, nice, sharp, forward-attacking sort of bright players that can uh, go and cause the South Africans some problems. Yeah, and I guess he's a guy who looks like he'll be involved for some time in the future. Oh, for sure, yeah. I mean, he's broke through early. I mean, that's a good thing about this country. If you do well, you can get into the international setup nice and early for a good young age and, and be part of it for a very long time. So, uh I'm sure that uh, a lot of these players that are in the squad this time, I'm sure that's their aim, you know, to play as many games for their country as they can. From your perspective, I guess, with the full-time coaching thing still up in the air, how are you sort of approaching this game and where it places you moving forward? I get asked the question a lot. and uh, For me, I'm the side I've picked, I've picked it for the future. I've picked it for whoever becomes the coach. You know, I believe it's the right squad. We're going to find out a lot more about and we're going to give a lot more ex- international exposure to a lot of these players. And, you know, there's a couple of debutants as well. So I'd like to do, obviously, as well as I can for myself. But the main thing is I want to do well for the country. And um, whoever does come in, they've got a good base and, and a good, exciting group of players that want to come back and learn and get better as a group and really try and get to Russia in, in 2018. But I guess there must be a feeling that if you can show a bit of development from that performance in Japan, that you put yourself right in contention to take over? I mean, no rush to become the All-Whites coach. Obviously, love to one day be, be that man. If asked, I'd obviously love to take the job. But, you know, whether that comes in two months, whether that comes in uh, five years, 
you know, I'm, I'm happy with what I'm doing, and uh, I've been given some great opportunities by the federation, um, at, you know, in the past uh, four or five years. So, you know, I've got a good club job as well, and I'm enjoying that. And uh, you know, just being in football for me is, is great. In that case, if there was another coach to come in and coach the All Whites, would you be pretty keen to continue as an assistant as you oh, have done? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a, you know, I've said it for a long time that that. Uh, my main priority is retaining the position I've been in for the last nearly three years. So that is the, my main priority. And, you know, although it was an unsuccessful end to our 2014 campaign, you know, I'd really love to be part of the next one. And that's what I'm really focusing on and trying to endorse myself with this team to actually make sure I can cement a place on the staff. The All Whites interim coach, Neil Emblem. New Zealand meets South Africa at Mount Smart Stadium on May the 30th. It's taken more than a year to organise and will cost more than $2 million, but the Wellington Phoenix will bring English Premier League teams West Ham and Newcastle to New Zealand in July. The clubs will be part of a four-way tournament, also involving A-League side Sydney FC, with games to be played in Auckland, Wellington and Dunedin. The general manager of the Wellington Phoenix, David Dome, told Stephen Hewson he hopes the tour is only the start of regular trips here by clubs in the English Premier League. We started this, this journey about uh, 14 months ago. So that was when we made the initial approaches and started talking to the clubs. Um, we were originally looking at pre-season last year. Obviously, we couldn't get it across the line in time, but continue to work through. Um, I went to I went to uh, the UK in December to meet with them face to face and try and get as much across the line as we could then, and then just continued on that process till now. And Newcastle, I mean, you had West Ham signed up sort of earlier on, did you? West Ham were um, we're more looking more likely to come on. Um, so, uh, but e- even the West Ham thing was only done very, very recently. But it was again, it was just came down to a detail thing. Um, so we're always confident that we, we could get West Ham across the line, and we'd have two games um, probably just in Auckland and Wellington. Um, but we're always continued to the negotiations with with Newcastle, and again, they were they were always expressing their, their desire to come here. So we were very, very thankful that they've um, committed as well. Who's bankrolling all of this? Uh, ultimately, it's Wellnix. So it's the owners of the club. Um, and they've been obviously they're obviously aware of, of, of the financial implications of the tour. We have a lot of support, especially from Wellington City Council, has been magnificent. Uh, but ultimately, if we lose money, it's the owners of the club. Yeah, Wellington City Council have been able to give financial support. Yes, yeah, so Wellington City Council have financial support. And they'll support the club in other ways as well around support the marketing of the game. Uh, positive Wellington tourism will help us with that into, into uh, Asia and to Australia. Um, but just their support in terms of, of being able to write to the clubs and saying the Wellington City Council and the Mayor of Wellington is behind this has been enormously valuable. So what's it going to cost you all up? It costs us a lot of money. How, how much is a lot? Well, look, we don't know. I mean, we, we still haven't finalised some of these costs, to be honest. There's, there's costs with the stadiums that's still going to be tied down, and costs with flights that's still going to be tied down. Uh, obviously, it's you know it's commercially sensitive, but it's, it's a decent whack of money. You've got a top a million dollars? In terms of rev? In terms of Net overall profit? cost? Oh, in terms of overall cost, easily. Easily. Easily go past a million dollars. Double it. And then some. <laughs> so, is it about breaking even, if you can... Or actually, can you see a profit coming out of it? It really will come down to um, how many tickets we can sell to these things. We need to sell a decent amount of tickets. We're not. It's not about a money money making exercise for us. It's about positioning the club, and it's about brand New Zealand and us being part of that and, and building on football in this country and what fo- the difference that football can make in this country. Um, it comes ten days after the World Cup final, so we'll, we, we obviously there'll be huge interest in football, and we really want to leverage it. We saw it as a unique opportunity for us, and rolled into all of this is um, we've committed to only to build the best. Pre-season 
he's been playing with Ken to catapult him into season uh, 14, 15 in, in, the, in the A-League. So it's all part of the mix. Um, financials are only one part of it, but an important part of it. So the goal is to what? Make the Phoenix what out, out of this? I mean, this is obviously going to boost your profile internationally, nationally, but... But how, how do you see that then developing, not being just a one-team club? Yeah, that's right. So what we want to be seen, we want to be seen as a little club that could, that could actually do things. So while we compete against the Australian clubs, it can be very difficult because they, they have bigger budgets than us and a lot of players don't want to come here because they see us a bit out of the way. So what we want to do is say, well, look, actually, what Australia can't do, this is what New Zealand can do. And we have, because we are a, you know, a, a, a one-country club, and we can leverage off Auckland and Christchurch and Dunedin as well as Wellington, and we want to be, we want to be seen as that. And hopefully, that'll if we can do more EPL tours in the future, this is just the first one. We're very keen to do more of these. This one works, and then players from all around the world will say, actually, look, there's a future there down in New Zealand, down in Wellington, and we can actually go to Wellington, get very good exposure, and play against EPL clubs. So, how often would you like to see EPL teams coming here? We'd love to do it every year, if it financially works out. If it financially works out and it makes sense, why wouldn't you do it? The general manager of the Wellington Phoenix, David Dye. That's extra time for this week. You can send your feedback to sport at radionz.co.nz. I'm Ben Robinson. Thanks for listening. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.